Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode of It's Time, we'll listen to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of 2 Samuel. This book is especially important as it focuses entirely on the life of King David, the line of Christ. Examining the triumphs and troubles of David, we can learn a lot about being a person after God's own heart. With the timely study on 2 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. 2 Samuel chapter 23, this is where David actually praises his God and also recognizes those that were great contributors to his life, his ministry, and his kingly reign. And again, friends, uh, something to always remember, you're never in this alone. And I think that's really an important thing is that God has placed around each one of us people who share in the same vision as you do to be able to allow us to get the job done. One put a thousand to flight, two ten thousand. It's amazing how much more you can get done when somebody else shares in the same vision as you do to get whatever it is that God's called you to do. That's why, again, the Bible says not to be unequally yoked together with non-believers, whether in business or in marriage or whatever, because what two people can do together will far exceed what a person by himself can do. But never let it be said what one person in the Bible does, because as you look in the Bible, you see what one person all the way through the Bible made, what a difference one person made, whether it was Noah, whether it was Moses, whoever it might be, how much difference a situation, how much different your company is, how much different uh, your school classroom will be, just because of your influence and because you love God in that place. And so David here now uh, gives the glory to God and he recognizes those who ministered and, and worked with him. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is interesting here because, again, recognizing the things in which uh, David did, uh, recognizing that he had a heart after God, and even though David blew up many, many times, uh, he was still called a man after God's own heart. And it wasn't because, again, of David's perfect life. It was because he knew his God, he knew the forgiveness of God, and he wasn't willful, or maybe I should say he wasn't um, uh, to the point where he thought, well, it doesn't make any difference. It's that when he recognized the sin, he repented, and God turned and blessed him. And so it says, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. Now this is interesting here because some people are actually, actually believe that David was alluding to the triunity of God. We find again, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. We know that the God of Israel is the father and we know that Jesus has been called the rock of our salvation. And so he says, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just ruling in fear of God. Um, it is true that uh, no matter what position that you have, uh, always remember that God has allowed you to be in that position. Uh, whether it's a mom, being a mom, or whether it's being a dad, or being a boss, or whether it's a person that works for somebody else, just remember that we actually work for God. We don't work for whoever it is we think we're working for, but ultimately we work for the Lord. And so he says, ruling in the fear of God. And I believe, friends, again, that is such an important thing because, again, a lot of times people say and do things, even in, in very powerful positions, with no regard for God at all. They'll lie, they'll cheat, and they'll steal, and all these kinds of things. They'll fraud. Uh, and the Bible says that, uh, again, to do that, because, you know, God can remove a person from those positions because of their deceit. And David recognized this. And David probably many times in his life knew that he should have been removed. But it was the grace of God that sustained him. And so it says that the Spirit of the Lord uh, spoke by me. His word was on my tongue. Now, again, as I look at this, it says, 
His word was on my tongue. Again, speaking of that heart, that part of him that come out, um, again, whatever is inside of you is going to be made manifest by what you say and the words you speak. Um, uh, and so, again, if you find yourself saying a lot of things that you wish you wouldn't say, you might want to examine your heart and see where that's at. So he says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear, by clear shining after the, after, literally after the rain or, or as, it, as that happens. You know, again, he's saying that, you know, when your heart's right, you're going to make good decisions. When your heart isn't right, you're going to make bad decisions. And so how important that is. Verse 5, although my house is not so with God, yet he made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is my salvation and all my desire Will he not make it increase? He, he recognized that he hadn't always been what he was supposed to be, but God was good. Verse 6, he says, But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they will utterly be burned in fire in their place. Uh, he's saying here, and these are kind of his last words, basically, he's, he's reminding the reader, Saying, you know, you serve God, you're going to be blessed. Uh, you be rebellious, and you're going to be like thorns that are thrust away. Verse 8 goes on, and we find the, uh, the deeds of, of uh, David's mighty men. It says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Johesh, uh, Behashabeth, the, the Tachamite, chief among the captains. He was also called Adino, the Enzite, Enlite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. It also says that Eliezer, the son of Dodo, uh, one of the three mighty men of David, he defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. And he rose and he attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand struck uh, with the sword, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And then after him was Shemaiah, and the son of Agi, the Philistines had gathered together in a troop, where there was a place of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from before the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Notice always uh, that God uses a person. Uh, He says that God brought about the victory. It was really God doing it. All God needs is just somebody to stand and say, hey, I'm not going to run. Sometimes faith is not having super Christian written on your chest, I'm here to save the day kind of thing. Faith is just simply standing and saying, okay, God, I won't run. God is what keeps us where we're at. God is what sustains us. You might say, well, Mike, someday when I've been a Christian a long time, I won't feel like running away. I want you to know it hadn't happened to me yet. (laughs) But you know what? I don't think anybody in the Bible uh, stands in their own strength. You stand in God's strength to do what God wants you to do. And you're ultimately going to be the one that that, uh, sees the hand of God uh, be victorious in that. So, you know, God knows the situation that you're in. And God knows what all the things you've gone through. And and yet, and the Bible here tells us that God is ultimately the one that brings the battle. He just looks for somebody that will trust him and say, okay, I'll do this. Now, that doesn't mean in our times and in our lives that God doesn't maybe change our, our vision or our ministries or whatever it is that might be. And that's okay, too. God just looks for a person that he can pour his power through, that he can pour his blessing through. You're that candidate for that blessing. 
Uh, it isn't that God has favorites. It isn't that God seeks out just the cute ones and, and the uh, dorky ones God don't use. I found that God use, will use anybody or anything that we'll turn over and yield to him. In fact, if God can't find somebody that will do his will, he'll use donkeys. Jesus is descending into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, all the people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees said, tell these people to be quiet. And Jesus said, I'll tell you this. If they were to be quiet, these very stones would cry out. So God will use even rocks to cry out if men will not do his will. But you know, God, how much more will God use somebody like you and me that will say, hey, okay, Lord, I'll I'll do what you want me to do. And we see the hand of God in our life. Well, verse uh, 13, it says, um, Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephelim, and David was then in the stronghold in the garrison of the Philistines when they uh, uh, when was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water that fell from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And so three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out on the ground to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do uh, that. I should do this, for it is not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by these three men. Uh, it's interesting that David was probably just, you know, weary of the battle and probably remember how good some uh, good cold water tasted. He said, Oh, if I could just have some of that water by the well at Bethlehem. And three guys heard it and they said, Hey, let's go get David some water. And so they broke through the enemy lines. They went and filled their canteens up and brought it back to David. And David, when he saw it and he knew what it was and he understood what these guys did out of an act of bravery and an act of submission and also an act of love to say, Here, David, this is something you wanted. This is something we want to give you. You know, I mean, I'll tell you what's really funny. Here's David, by the way, a king, could have probably anything he wanted. And, you know, sometimes it's funny that. It isn't in the amount of what we have sometimes or uh, of dollars and cents or uh, the grandeur of it all. But sometimes it's in little things. And he just said, boy, if I could just have some of that water. And when he got it, he realized how precious it was because three guys risked their lives, risked their blood to go get in this water. And he said, Lord, it would be wrong for me to drink this. So he poured it out uh, 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 on the ground before the Lord as a drink offering, interestingly enough. And he would not drink it. Now, Abishai, the brother of Joab... The son of Zurah, the chief of the other three, he lifted up his spear against 300 men and killed them, and one a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. So he's saying that um, there were level of, uh, levels of greatness, levels of bravery. And uh, you might say, well, as we look at here at uh, David and his cabinet, one of the things I do find here, and I think it's important, is to recognize, now you might say, well, Mike, this is really great, but I'm not a king, so I guess I don't, this really doesn't apply to me. Oh, yeah, it does. Because there's people around you that blessed you and served you. And, you know, I, I like to compliment people that have been a, a, a blessing to me. And, you know, you never know when that one person or, or the friends that you have encourage you to continue on. You, you know, I'll tell you something. I think all of us can think back at a time in our life when, when we were um, just exasperated or we wanted to just give up on Jesus or whatever. And, and there was a friend, and maybe they even weren't walking with the Lord that good, but they encouraged you and you're still here. I'll tell you something. That tells me a lot about recognizing those that have been faithful to you. There's an old saying. It says a friend walks in when everybody else walks out. 
So David recognized that just as well as these men who served him could have gotten killed, they, they were successful and God had blessed them. And so he recognizes not only what they did for him, but also what they did for Israel and most of all what they did for God. And so I think this is a really important thing. And I think all of us need to remember to be complimentary when people have blessed us. And so I think that that's good. And remembering again, just as it says here, that uh, they did the work, but uh, God is the one that brought the victory. And so always remember that it is God working through that person. So that way when somebody comes up and says, hey, you know, you're doing really good, we go, yes, I know. And our head swells up and our ears drag on the doors as we walk through. Kind of bad. But it's okay to tell people you noticed. And I've even had people say, you know, Lord, teach me how to love. But one of the ingredients, one of the key ingredients in love that we learned from, from Jesus is to see what he did for us and say thank you. That's one of the things that happened to us when we become born again. We don't really become born again until we say to Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. In other words, I recognize what you've done for me. And if we don't recognize what others do for us as well, I believe, friends, that that, that is something where it begins to speak of being self-centered because we're not noticing what others have contributed into our life. When we understand that God's plan for our life and purpose for our life is to be watchful. And just as we said thank you to Jesus, so we also then notice and say thank you to others that have been kind to us. And I think, again, this is something that David, interestingly enough, is is doing here in the scripture, letting us know that, hey, these people, in fact, really did mean something to me in heaven. So think about that for a minute. And maybe in your own life, those that have been influential in your life. We find here again that he lists these people that were uh, that had been a great blessing. Benadiah, verse uh, 20, was the son of uh, Je- Jeholadiah, uh, the son of, of, of a valiant man from Kebzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab, and he also went down and killed a lion in the midst of the pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man, An Egyptian had a spear in his hand, and so he went down with a staff and wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Um, These are kind of interesting picture types that we find here. Um, uh, And so he goes on and he says, These things Benadiah, uh, the son of Jehaliah, did and won a name for himself among the three mighty men. And he was more honored than the the thirty, but did not, not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Ashiel brother of uh, Joab, one of the 30. And then it lists all these other guys that are listed here, and I won't take the time to read all of them because um, uh, you didn't know. But I think it's interesting that he did mention them and did recognize uh, their contribution in David's kingly reign. And again, I I think that's a a really important thing because uh, always be mindful of those things that others uh, do for you. Okay, uh, let's go to uh, uh, chapter 24. Again, um, this is... um, Not something unusual that God would be with the nation of Israel. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Now, uh, this is kind of a funny thing, because um, God here moves David to number Israel. Israel had, had been sliding away from the relationship with God, so God moves on David. And as we get farther into the story, you're going to see that God punishes Israel because David numbered them. And I think originally, I think it may very well been that God moved on David to number Israel. And it may very well be for the half-shekel census that was to be given uh, per each person um, that would be brought into the house of the Lord. And evidently these people had forgotten their relationship with God. But for some reason... Uh, that didn't happen. 
And so we find that God then ends up judging Israel uh, because of, of uh, this census. And, and again, I believe it was probably because uh, that which was required by God um, uh, to be brought into the temple was not brought into the temple. And so therefore God judged him. So let's just look at this. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, now go out through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. Something noteworthy here. God never told David to do this. Uh, he moved on him, though, to do it. And, uh, but there was no voice from heaven. It's just something that he had an unction to go do. And it may, again, very well been that God was moving on him so that uh, this money could have been brought into the temple. Uh, once again, it would have sustained the priests and, the, and, and uh, their ways of worshiping the Lord. And so Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundredfold, a hundred times more than there are, but... Uh, may the eyes of my Lord as the king see it, but why does my Lord the king desire this thing? Why do you want this? Um, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army, so it seems that everybody was against this. And by the way, to take a census was rather a large job in those days, just as it is today, to really find out what was going on. Now, again, God may have had very good intentions in um, uh, doing this. Uh, the anger of the Lord was aroused. Notice again, against Israel, he moved David. Now, it may very well have been so that they would recognize that the half shekel should have been brought into the temple. But, but now David um, uh, is doing this. It doesn't seem to make any sense. And it may very well be that the motive of David had changed somewhere along the lines. And so it says that they went out, crossed over the Jordan, uh, the Campton Arrow here, uh, on the right side of, of, of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad towards Jezir. And they came to Gilead and to the land of, of uh, Tahatim um, and, and Hosh Hodishi. And they came to Dan, uh, Jan, and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And they went out to the south uh, of, of Judah as far as Beersheba. And when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of the nine months and the twenty days. And Joab gave the sum of the number to the people of the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah, there were 500,000 men. So an, a, an army of 1.3 million. Now, friends, again, a lot of times we think a long time ago, uh, there wasn't that many people around. But just here was the people who could draw the sword. Now, this didn't count women and children and, and babies. And this was basically, if we go over to First uh, Chronicles 27, 23, and 24, it talks about uh, not numbering those uh, a part of the army that were under 20 years old. So some people estimate that the population here is, is right around 8 million uh, people in the, in the nation of Israel at this time. Now, I, I think a lot of things happen when, when you do that. And I think maybe David was starting to feel kind of good. Maybe thinking, wow, I, I, I'm the king of an army of 1.3 million. Whoa, who's going to tangle with me? Uh, you, you never know. You know, again, oftentimes you'll find that in your life that um, the people begin to enjoy the blessing more than the, than the one who blesses. And um, maybe this is what happened. We don't know because as we read on here, we find that David ends up convicted in his heart over this. So he says, um, Joab gave the number of the people of Israel's king, and they're in, in Israel, the 800,000 and the 500,000. And so verse 10, uh, the king's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, again, um, it's hard to say exactly what happened in David's heart. 
Uh, God was angry with Israel. He commanded it to be numbered. The shekels were not collected for the, uh, the people in a census, as should have been done, and the money gone into the temple. It may have very well been that David began to strut around thinking he was something because of this great army now that he was commanding, and all of a sudden he was convicted in his heart. And I don't know if that's ever happened, but, you know, to you, but, uh, you know, God can convict us of, 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 of things that's going on in our life. And, and, and you know what? God loves us, and, and so he does those things. Uh, and, and so... Um, David arose in the morning. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go tell David, thus saith the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it for you. Now, this sounds good, but it isn't. It's, it's a punishment on the land of Israel. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or you shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? He goes, no, nah, i already done that. <laughs> you know, that was something that he'd already been through. Or shall three days plague your land? Now consider whatever answer I should take back to him who sent me, speaking of God. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. Um, David trusted God, but he didn't trust men. And so that pretty much ruled out um, the last two. And the first and the famine, um, seven years, would have been very, very severe. So... So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from morning until the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it. And the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was was by the threshing floor of Anaruah, the Jebusite. And David spoke to the Lord when the angel, uh, angel who was striking the people said, Surely I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. Now again, uh, David is taking this personally because he feels it was something he did, but actually God was angry with Israel because of their rebellion against him. And, and again, as it says, uh, going back to verse 1, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Um, that wasn't something in common. Uh, you know, it seemed like, like they were always kind of in rebellion to God one way or the other. So, and so Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar uh, to the Lord on the threshing floor. Uh, and so David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. So Aruna went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Runa said, Why has my lord the king come here to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. And Runa said to David, Let my lord the king take up an offer, whatever seems good to him. Look, here are the oxen for the burnt sacrifice and the threshing implements and the yokes of oxen for the wood. And all these, O king, Aruna had given to the king. And Runa said to the king, May the Lord your God uh, accept you. And the, and the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, uh, which cost me nothing. So David bought the thrashing floor uh, of the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, and David built an altar there to the Lord and built uh, and burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers of the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. It's interesting here that this is where he goes and buys the thrashing floor. And uh, it appears this is where the temple was built, and so this is where how that all came about. It's also noteworthy here that um, that David recognized that he had sinned against God, that God was angry, and so rather than blowing it off and just acting like it didn't matter, 
Uh, David goes and, and uh, seeks the Lord, and the Lord shows him what he needs to do. Now, friends, God will always show you what you need to do to get things straightened out. And one of the other things we find here is David said, I'm not going to offer to God something that didn't cost me something. You know, a lot of times, a lot of people give God their seconds. A lot of times people give, give God their excess. Well, you know, and I'll just tell you, this is what a lot of people do. That You know, that when they tithe sometimes, well, God, if I got any money left over, I'll give it to you. I don't do that. Before I ever spend any money, I take God's part out and I give it to him. Because the thing is, is that, is that that's the first fruits and I know that God will make up the other 90% just fine. Uh, so money's not a hard thing, and resources are not a hard thing for God, but the thing is, do you trust God with your resources? And that's a, that's a hard thing, because a lot of people think, well, I'll, I'll give God what's left over, or hey, I got this, and I'll, you know, I'll give it to church or something. <laughs> give God your best. And like I say, if, if you look at this here, you'll see that God, in His way of doing things, God blessed David, God forgave Israel, and I think, friends, that's an important thing to understand. And that's Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River Christian Fellowship with 2 Samuel on It's Time. If you'd like to have your own copy of today's episode, you can obtain one for free from the daily iTunes podcast. If you want a hard copy, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order. And while you do that, don't forget that 2 Samuel is part 2 of the 1st and 2nd Samuel series available from the River Christian Fellowship. Please tune in next time for another relevant Bible study on It's Time. It's time.